Thank you, Becky. I really um, thank you for your kind words. Um, I, I definitely count it an, an honor and a privilege to be up here. And it's kind of nerve-wracking when you're standing in front of a couple of your Sunday school teachers, like <laughs> Mrs. Blake. <laughs> and um, But actually, uh, I've got one of my um, Sunday school teachers here from childhood. I don't know, I hope you don't mind. If I don't reveal, you might guess kind of what your age is, but um, Yana. <laughs> okay, but Yana Peterson, I definitely count it a privilege that you're here, and I'm so blessed. And Sister Deidre, thank you. Um, kind of intimidating, but also a real privilege to, to be standing up here um, in front of you all. Um, today I wanted to, to start off with a question. Um, I know that for some of our ladies that were here for um, our first ladies fellowship, I did teach on this topic, but don't tune me out because I know for some of you, you're like, oh, I wanted to know more. So here I am. I will give you the expanded and more in-depth version. Um, so don't tune me out just yet. I know some of it may feel familiar, but it's not the same. Um, so I'll start off with a question. And that's a question of, have you ever met someone who seemed to have it all, but still wasn't happy? Um, regardless of how glossy and glamorous a person's life may appear on the outside, you never know what's beneath the surface. And often when we think of people like that, the first people that we would think of would be celebrities, right? They seem to have all the fame and fortune. They've got the body, they've got the beauty, they've got the glamour, they've got the houses, they have beautiful partners in beautiful cars, all those sorts of things. But it seems if you follow any of what's out there in the media, they never do truly seem to find happiness, um, even contentment, even in terms of, of how they're supposed to look or you know, staying with the same partner over so many years. Um, there doesn't seem to be any, any type of peace. You'd think that they would have everything in the world, but they don't. And there's a, there's a similar Bible character that I wanted to talk about today who, who was kind of like that. She had, she had the beauty, she was well favored, and her name was was Rachel. Um, so, Rachel, like Rachel, our hearts are filled with desires, many of them good things. Um, but the question is: so, even though she, like for Rachel, she seemed to have it all. We know that that one desire that she really wanted to have was kids. So that's what I'm referring to in terms of desires. Um, but all of us have that desire, and do we look to others to give us what we need? Do we manipulate our circumstances to try to get what we want? Do we try to help God by making things happen? Or we do, do we look to God and entrust our desires and burdens to him? So Rachel faces dilemma, and we can learn much by her example. So setting some of the context here, um, before we start reading, the passage that I want us to read from is Genesis chapter 29. And we'll read from verse 14 to 19. But before this, basically we know that um, Jacob, in the previous chapters, he had stolen his brother's birthright. So he was on the run from his brother Esau, who basically wanted to kill him. So that's why he's on the run. And Jacob met Rachel. Um, they were at the well. And this, the love story was actually quite similar 
to how his parents would have met because um, Jacob and Rachel, they met at the well. And for Jacob's mother, Rebecca, she was also going to the well when she met Isaac, or more like Abraham's servant, um, at the well when he was praying for provision for a wife for his, his, um, his master's son. So <laughs> that was quite a... <laughs> so, um, so he knew as soon as he saw her because um, his, his mother, Rebecca, told him to go, go to her relatives and to find someone from there. And so when he saw Rachel... I'm sure he knew pretty much immediately because we know by how he responded. He cried and he basically kissed her, that sort of thing. He kissed her hands. And at this point, we don't know how Rachel feels um, for Jacob, but we do know that she ran to tell her her father. So we'll pick up from verse 14 and we'll read to verse 19. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh, and he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters, the name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favoured. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel thy younger daughter, and Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. Okay, so this passage describes Laban's two daughters, Leah, who's tender-eyed, meaning she had an issue or a weakness in the eye, and Rachel, who's beautiful and well-favored, um, as we read in verse 17. So even down to her name, her name meant um, an ear. So I don't know if I said that correctly, but an ear. And um, she... It, which means a female sheep. So this, they say, is a, as a, um, a term of endearment, sort of like what we'd call like, you know, our little lamb, that sort of thing. I don't know if we still have that usage, but, you know, it, it was used in this way, um, what some would say anyway. So Jacob was smitten from the start, and his intention was to marry Rachel. Um, but when, Rachel, when Jacob arrived, we know that he had nothing with him because he was on the run. He hadn't gotten the inheritance from his father just yet. So he didn't have anything to, to give or offer Laban as that customary um, bride price. But in return, in return for Rachel, um, Jacob offered to work seven years. Um, so for seven years wages and considering that the typical bride price was 30 to 40 shekels and a worker would be paid about one shekel per month for his labor um, really what Jacob was offering was double what would be the customary bride price for the day and so from 29 20 in chapter 29 verse 20 to 30 um, we read about the seven years so for the sake of time we won't read through all the passages but I'll just summarize for you the passage there and in those seven years he worked for his uncle um, Laban but then he changed the rules so all of us would be familiar with how Laban deceived him he gave her Leah and he was shocked and then he had to work another seven years for Rachel basically so Laban's deception really created some difficulty and heartache for many. But what about Rachel? Where is she in all of this? And 
Laban and Jacob arranged the two marriages like business contracts with seemingly no regard for the feelings of either sister. Um, Though there were many areas that clearly outshined um, Leah, there was one area that she did not. Um, And so soon that one discontentment became the focus of Rachel's life, if not her obsession. Because as what we had learnt, um, Rachel Rachel was the well-favoured one. And so for the first time, she finds herself in second place to Leah, even though she was the younger. Um, And we'll read in Genesis chapter 30 how basically when Leah got, like Leah was married to Jacob, God felt for her and so he opened up her womb and she was able to have children, but Rachel did not. And so this is what's leading to that obsession of discontentment and things like that. So we'll read Genesis chapter 30, verse 1 to 8. And it says, And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold my maid Bilhah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah her handmaid to wife, and Jacob went in unto her, and Bilhah conceived, and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and hath also heard my voice, and hath given me a son, therefore called she his name Dan. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again, and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed, and she called his name Naphtali. So Rachel seemed to have it all, beauty and true love. Jacob is outstanding among male lovers in the Bible for the true abiding love he bore for Rachel. Um, Who could boast that their husbands worked for 14 years just to be with them? You'd think, actually, that was one of the, this is an aside, but that was actually one of the jokes that my dad had for my husband, Hernan, when we were dating. Um, it's a true story. You can ask him. <laughs> my dad my dad was joking that he'll have to work for me for seven years, but all he had to do was concrete our backyard. So, <laughs> um, But you'd think she'd be one of the happiest women, but desire for one thing she didn't um, robbed her of true contentment. But we've got to understand that culturally, failure for a woman to produce sons could even be grounds for divorce in her day, So although we know she didn't have to worry about this um, because her husband was clearly and madly and deeply in love with her, so he didn't. But that was grounds for for people to divorce back then. So here the Bible describes Rachel as envious um, of her sister for the children she had. And then Rachel turned to Jacob claiming that she'd die if he didn't give her children. So he knew nothing that he, um, he could do could make a difference since it's God who opens and closes the womb. And he quickly redirected her focus back to God, but instead Rachel resorted to her own resources. Okay, so culturally we know it was common practice to use one's servants for the purpose of childbearing. So if it sounds familiar, that's because it is, because Sarah and Abraham, Sarah did the same thing with Abraham when she gave him Hagar to wife because she thought that that was how God was going to provide um, a son 
So that was a common practice back then in, in Bible times, and we see it being practiced again here. So when Rachel um, cons- gave her servant Bilhah, she conceived twice, and the names were very important in the Old Testament. So each Hebrew name had a meaning and it became an important part of the infant's life. So the names Rachel chose reveal the true motivation of her heart and we see that through yeah through the names but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so there's just a lot of things that are that are going on right now that just seem like it's just really discontent um, and even towards the end um, we know what happens where she she basically finally God did did open up her womb and she did have a son and she had a son named Joseph which means God will add and then the she had a second son Benjamin and she called him actually she called him Benoni um, meaning son of my trouble but Jacob renamed her renamed him to son of my right hand um and so he i just wanted to point out her life in general but what are some of the things that we can learn from rachel about looking to god because the theme of the conference is look to god and there were some things that i learned from from her that i really wanted to point out um that i think we can really learn from so for even though Rachel was beautiful, she had the love of her husband, she was well favoured, she still wasn't satisfied. And for Rachel, it was difficult. We know she so badly wanted to have children. And looking at most of us in this room, um, we would understand this desire. Most of us are probably mums. Um, and so much of a woman's identity and status revolved around bearing children. So we can almost see and almost excuse her obsession with having a son. Um, in fact, the ancient Israelites' attitude could be summed up like this. We want children. We want them now. We'll have as many children as we can because, God are very, because children are very important to us. In fact, we would rather be wealthy with children than with money. So that was often the attitude that they had then. So often when reading these, these passages, I never related to, to Rachel and and I thought that the whole rivalry with her sister was unfortunate and immature. And I didn't struggle to have children, so I struggled to connect with her story. But upon closer study, I found I was more like Rachel than I thought. And Rachel had everything in comparison to Leah. Um, you know, she was beautiful, she was well-favored, loved, things we know Leah desired and many other women like her. But like Rachel, we're so blessed in comparison to most people in the world. Um, if we were to just stop and think for a minute about the blessings we have in our lives, we could think of numerous blessings like immediately that God has provided for us. Um, if we have children, then children. If we have a home, if we have cars, you know, the clothes on our backs, not even having to worry about the food that we eat, you know, in comparison to the rest of the world, God really has provided us with, with a lot of blessings, yet, especially in our culture and in our day, we can easily obsess about the things that we don't have, 
you know, we can give you a prime example. Sometimes it could even be, I mean, it's almost feels like it's impossible to buy a house nowadays with just inflation, rising costs of living. I mean, that's just uh, one example and with the rental market and things, you know, but there are so many others that we could, um, we could be obsessing over um, and that could really just impact on, on our outlook. So on reflection, do we look to God for satisfaction? So for Rachel, she lacked satisfaction in her life, even though she had all these blessings that, that God had given her. Um, and so much of her satisfaction seemed like it was just so dependent on her having children, having sons in particular. So what is it that we're so most desirous of that is impacting on our contentment? So secondly, do we look to God for our supply? So in Genesis 30, verse 1 to 3, we, we read about how Rachel said to Jacob that she has no children. She was envious of his sister. And she was like, give me children or else I die. So the language in the passage um, seems quite d dramatic and unrealistic. Because even though on a practical level, we know Jacob plays a role in this, um, ultimately God is the one who can provide her with this. And Jacob redirects her gaze to just that because it is only God who has the power to provide. So even though this situation can be um, quite silly, we can sometimes be guilty of the same thing. So perhaps you've been let go at work or your hours were cut down or someone failed to fulfill a promise like what Laban had done to Jacob 10 times with his wages. Um, so in, instead of seeking God, sometimes we can, we can be short-sighted with that and we, we tend to just um, see things for what's in front of us. You know, so Rachel actually started pointing the finger at the people in front of her and in that situation it was Jacob. And instead of heeding to his advice, she turns her gaze to her resources and helped God with how she thought he could supply by giving Jacob Bilhah, her servant, to wife so that she could have kids through her. Um, in the following passages of Genesis 30, we see the rivalry between the sisters through the names of the ensuing children who were born and the negotiation about the mandrakes. So for example, so this is the named thing that I was referring to earlier, um, Dan meaning he judged because she felt that God vindicated her through the birth of this son. And then the second son by Bilhah was named Naphtali meaning wrestle because she felt she had wrestled with her sister and won. Then in verse 9, Leah gives her handmaid because she thought it was the end of her childbearing days and she gives Jacob Zilpah and she bore a son who Leah named Gad, meaning a troop cometh. And then the second son from Zilpah was named Asher, meaning happy because the daughters will call Leah blessed. So talk about rubbing it in. Um, the fruit was seen as, yeah, so ways she other, other ways she sought to help God um, supply was the mandrakes. So the story of the mandrakes in, in chapter 30 were basically it was, um, I think it was Reuben who had found some mandrakes and the belief around the, this fruit is that it will cure barrenness. And so she really wanted these, these mandrakes. Um, 
And I think anyone can relate to this if anyone has had um, trouble falling pregnant. And it wasn't so much the method, but the issue that was going on in her heart. And unfortunately, when we hold discontentment in our hearts, often a natural consequence of that is the impact it'll have on our relationships. We don't often think about the consequences of that. And in her obsession, in her discontentment, and in her obsession with the supply, she, she pointed at people around her and it was impacting on her relationships that it led to, uh, at this stage in their lives, a dysfunctional home. Um, and her envy just consumed her and got the better of her. Um, she envied the fruitfulness and supply in someone else's life instead of her own. And so I think that is something for us to consider when we're thinking about um, who we're looking to in terms of supply. Um, the third question I'd like us to think about is, do we look to God for our security? So in Genesis chapter 31, if we could please turn there. It says, And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And then verse, going down to verse 19 to 20, And Laban went to Shear, uh, and Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's, and Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he had fled. So basically, Laban had worked, Jacob had worked for Laban for 20 years, and so he, he wanted to, God had told him it's, it's time for him to go. Um, but he didn't really know how to go about it. And we, we find out later that he, he stole away, um, meaning he left without telling Laban because he was afraid that Laban wasn't going to let them go. Um, and that's what he had done. Um, but in the meantime, while Laban was tending to the sheep, that's when Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. So some say these idols um, were not necessarily about um, worship. Some say that it was. I mean, it could be the superstition, like in terms of luck or maybe a comfort. But some also say that it was um, a, a teraphim, which was a property deed, as was the custom of Haran. Um, we don't know for sure, but we do know that Rachel was trying to secure her future. So what we read tells us that Rachel stole her her father's idols right before they left home. So instead of looking to God as a source of security, especially venturing into the unknown, um, going to a new place, she wasn't under the safety umbrella of her father anymore. Um, it, I think these, what these idols represented, not whatever it is, property deed or act of worship, um, it, she was still going to be out of her comfort zone. But I think for her, she needed that what was tangible. Um, because even the lengths that she would go through, um, we find out later in the passages, she, she hid the idols under her seat um, when her father came looking for them. Um, and so she was determined to keep them. <laughs> and um, so I think that that gives us something to think about how um, as we as we think about our future, sometimes we there are some things that we hold on to um, for our security. 
and do we look to God for our security? So if God isn't the first place we look, then what does this mean? What is the deeper issue that's happening here? As I pondered on what lesson to teach to a group of women who I would describe as preaching to the choir, I mean, because this is a morning session, you know, most of you are somehow involved in some form of ministry or another. It's kind of difficult and again, intimidating to speak to a whole group of ladies like this in this room. Um, most, if not all of us, are saved and have a walk with Christ, I'm assuming. We claim to believe in God and we even pray to him like Rachel did. Um, yet in practice, for the most part, based on the passages we've studied, her behavior, Rachel was idolatrous. Um, according to Webster's Dictionary, idolatry is the worship of an idol or idols. An idol, as we know it, is often an image of a god constructed of wood, stone, and worship as if it were the god it represents, but it can also be a person or object of intense admiration or love. So God defines it for us in Deuteronomy 5.7, Thou shalt have none other gods before me. An idol is anything that we put before God. But God also defines it in Ezekiel 14.3a, where it says in verse 5, as son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. So for us modern day Christians, we may not carry around little idols or follow modern day idols like celebrities, sports people, or notable people, but anything that we put before God in our hearts, like what Rachel did, is idolatry. It's a subtle idolatry, which is actually the title of this lesson. It's the hidden things of the heart that we can't see, but God sees. In the end, Rachel professed a relationship to the God of Israel, yet at the same time she was guilty of religious polygamy. She was still married to idols in her heart. So what do we need to do? Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 15 to 16, if we can please turn there. It says, Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves. For ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female. So we need to take heed. So we're having a look at a couple of verbs that we can do to, to think on and reflect on idolatry that's that's the main that's the main um, message that I'm, I'm trying to communicate here and that is helping us to reflect on if we have any subtle idolatries that we may be carrying in our hearts and so the bible says to us that take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves so that means we need to reflect 
um, in 2 Kings 18 verse 4. Um, we won't turn there, but um, the group sang it last night and that was Break Down the High Place. You know, that was a story of where they broke down the groves and they tore down the idols. So we need to break it down. In Genesis 35 verse 2, um, let's turn there. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. So for, for Jacob, before he could go forward, he needed to put away those things that were strange gods. In Second Chronicles verse seven, chapter 7, verse 14, I'll, I'll just read it for us. It says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. In Colossians 3, 2 to 6, it says, set your affections on things above. Matthew 6, 33, it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all these things shall be added unto you. Right, so Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So again, like th these are things that the Bible is commanding us that we need to do. We need to, I mean, the Bible also says for us, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. So again, I think as we think on looking to God, what are some of the things that are hindering us in looking to God, are there some subtle idolatries that we hold in our hearts? I mean, we, those are things that often we don't think of because we just think about the tangible, we think about the typical, you know, oh, I don't, I'm not a teenager anymore, I don't have an idol in my life, you know, I don't follow a celebrity or things like that. But I think from what we, we saw from the example of Rachel with how her first, her first response wasn't looking to God, she put other things before God, that in itself was, was a form of, of idolatry. So do we look to God in satisfaction? Do we look to God for our supply? Do we look to God for our security? So in Genesis chapter 35, we read, Rachel did, she did let go of the idols. Um, in verse four, Jacob required, all his household to put away the strange gods and he buried them and so she was able she did let it go right before she did pass because we know that she she died when giving birth to to benjamin and i think that even though you know she she had some of these subtle idolatries in her heart you know maybe she she didn't even realize it i'm not really sure but you know god was still gracious you know he 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 still answered her prayer, you know, he still opened up her womb. And I think God is, is so gracious to us, even when sometimes we may not even realize that we have um, sins in our hearts and that we're not putting him before, before all else. 
And so do we have idolatry in our hearts and what will we do if we realize that we do? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this time that we were able to have and that we were able to learn from your word, from the example of Rachel. And dear God, as we think about um, looking to you, I pray, Father, that you'll help us reflect on some of the things in our hearts um, that may be hindering us from from having a, a greater vision of of you and, and seeing that you're in control and that, dear God, we know that we can trust you in all things, um, even to the, the very things that we're so desiring, um, whatever that may be. We just know that you're in control and we can trust you in all things. And so, Father, we want to commit these things to you. We pray for the rest of the conference. We pray for the messages that um, it'll, you'll continue to work um, in our hearts so that, Father, you could um, help us to um, continue to be fruitful in our walk with you and in our service for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.